We're studying this little book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Jonah. Last week we looked at chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, Jonah is in the belly of a great fish, we are told. Not a whale, but a great fish. Last week we noted that the Word of God comes to Jonah and tells him to go to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is a, kind of a strange foreign military city, a great city, capital city of Assyria. And uh, Jonah is supposed to go preach against it, not to it, but against it, it says. He's supposed to tell them about God's coming judgment. And the implication is pretty clear. Nineveh needs to repent of her sin, which are many, and otherwise God is going to judge them. And Jonah doesn't really want to do that for several reasons. One being, he's a Hebrew and they are not. He doesn't want them to experience the mercy and the grace of God. He doesn't want them to repent of their sin. So what he does is he gets on a ship going to Tarshish, we're told. A city in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. And God sends a great storm. So great that the ship is in danger actually of sinking. And the sailors, we are told, have a great fear. And in the process, these pagan sailors come to know a great God, a God whose name is Yahweh. Jonah tells them God's name. But the, the great storm gets greater. And Jonah tells the sailors when they finally ask him, uh, why is this happening? He tells them that he is the problem. And he says, if you want the storm to stop, you need to throw me overboard. And reluctantly, they eventually do that. And Jonah goes over the side of the ship and immediately, immediately, the storm stops. It's calmed. And at that moment, I'm sure Jonah thinks that he is going to die. This is it. And that's where we are in this book. Uh, we come to verse 17 in chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, that verse and chapter 2 uh, at this time. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along in the screen. This is Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Let's pray. 
Father, we would ask you to teach us again this morning as we look at this book together. Help us, Father, to learn something about us, something about you, something about life that we could put into practice and into action. Teach us, reform us, change us, encourage us, we ask in, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to pretend like you've never heard this story before. Probably all of you have heard it before, maybe multiple, multiple times. But pretend like you haven't. Jonah is sinking into the sea, and verse 17 of chapter 1 uh, tells us that he is then uh, in the belly of a whale. We read, but the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Does that fish thing strike any of you as kind of funny? <laughs> kind of odd? Well, fact of the matter is, it's supposed to. And uh, we'll get into why later. But it says that the Lord provided, that's how I believe the ESV translates this, the Lord provided or appointed a great fish. Uh, that word provided is interesting. It's a governing word. It's what a king would do when he would appoint an ambassador or when he would uh, command or send someone to represent him somewhere. It's something that you do to a person, not usually to a fish. And the picture here is of a God who isn't just powerful. Understand the Tarshish sailors on board this ship that Jonah was once upon a time in, those Tarshish sailors had already learned that God was, in fact, a very powerful God. That he wasn't just sovereign over Israel, that little country back there on the east uh, coast of the Mediterranean Sea. God was, in fact, the God of heaven. They had learned that. He was the God who had made the sea and made the land. And now we learn that this same God is God of the fish. He's king over the fish. He tells fish where to go and what to do. And so God says, go swallow Jonah to this great fish. And oh yeah, by the way, don't chew. And that's exactly what this great fish does. God provides, God appoints a fish. This is a very, very, very odd and interesting story. Now I want to pause here and just talk about something that's actually pretty serious for us. Because of the nature of this story, there are many who have read it and interpreted it as an allegory, as a metaphor, various kinds of things. They say, you know, they just can't buy the fish story. The idea of a fish swallowing a guy and having someone live inside them, this fish, for three days and, and three nights is hard to believe. And I want to talk directly to everybody who's having those kinds of thoughts at this particular moment. And the first thing I want to say is that's okay to think that. Having those kinds of questions simply means that you are, you are reading and understanding the story and you're engaging with it. You're grappling with the text. We want to be honest about what we think whenever we read the Word of God or the Bible. Uh, and we want to interpret it correctly. And in this church, we want to be the kind of community that reads and studies the Bible in thoughtful ways intelligible, reasonable ways. And this whole fish swallowing a man thing is not normal. I looked into this a little bit. And as far as we know, there is no fish that could swallow a man and keep him alive inside of him for three days and three nights. But understand something. 
That does not affect this story at all. Let me explain. You see, the point of Jonah is not that there really are fish swimming around in the sea that can ordinarily uh, swallow a human being and keep that human being alive inside them for a period of time. I mean, think about this. In chapter one, we saw a great storm come out of nowhere. It didn't come from a normal forming weather pattern. It came because we're told in chapter one, verse four, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. What we also saw was we saw that storm stop immediately, instantly, not because the weather pattern moved on, but because when the Tarshish sailors did what Jonah told them to do and threw him overboard, God, we are told, calmed the storm. And so, you know, do great fish just swallow people for a few days and then vomit them up somewhere on shore? Well, of course not. That doesn't normally happen. It only happens when the Lord provides. It only happens when the Lord commands a great fish. And so the point really is in this story the point is that something miraculous is happening here. This is God supernaturally intervening in the circumstances of Jonah's life. And so the real question here and in many places in the Bible is not, are there fish that can swallow people and then have people live inside them for three days and nights? Nor is the question, you know, can a man walk on water? Nor is the question, can a bush burn and talk at the same time? Or uh, can a blind or dumb or lame person be healed of their disease or of their uh, affliction? Or can someone come back from the dead? Because you see, the answer to all those questions is, of course not. We all know this. None of these things can happen normally. They only happen if God miraculously intervenes. And at the heart of our faith, friends, the heart of anyone's faith who is a follower of Jesus is this belief that there is, in fact, a God, a real and living and powerful God, all-powerful, and he does intervene in human affairs, sometimes even miraculously to achieve his purposes and to advance his cause. This God has, in fact, done many, many miracles, miracles that many people have seen, many people actually experienced, parting of the Red Sea, the slowing of time on one occasion. And then the greatest miracle of all, which would be the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we believe this actually happened in history. The point is God actually reveals himself in the Bible to be someone for whom nothing is impossible. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, then certainly he can keep a guy in the belly of a great fish for a few days. And that's what he does here. And I would just encourage everybody not to get hung up over things such as this because 
if God is real and if God is all powerful and if Nineveh was a real city and we know that it was and if Jonah was a real person and we believe in fact that he was, then it's very reasonable to think that the storm was real, that the great fish was real. And frankly, much of what's going on in this book is just plain miraculous. It's God doing what only God can do. And here, let me tell you, he's up to something quite remarkable. He's up to something great. In fact, we saw last week that that is a key word in this book, the word great. This book starts out by God saying to Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Because it, it turns out that God has a great heart for that great city. And then Jonah runs the other way. And so the Bible sends, uh, says that God sends a great wind, which then causes a great storm, which then produces a great fear in the lives of these Tarshish sailors, which re actually results in them worshiping Jehovah God and committing themselves to Jehovah God. All of that, friends, is quite miraculous. It's the work of a supernatural God. And then God provides this great fish for Jonah. And the point is this, let's kind of sum it up. The point is God is great. That's the point. God is great. And he's doing something great in this story. Jonah, on the other hand, is not so great. Jonah is a man of God running from God. And if the main word for God in this book is great, then perhaps the main word for Jonah, the one that keeps popping up, might be the word down. <laughs> Jonah's going down. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa, a port city, and then he heads off to Tarshish. And then on the ship, he literally lays down and he goes to sleep. Where? Down in the bottom of the ship below deck. And then he goes down into the water in the storm. And then he goes down into the belly of a fish. Jonah just keeps going down and down and down until he finally hits bottom. Sitting inside this fish. And understand, with the Israelites in that day, with ancient peoples in general, you don't get lower. You don't get in a more desperate place than down in the bottom of the sea. Because the sea, in their understanding, was a place of chaos, a place that's unpredictable. It's a frightening place. It's a place with monsters and terrible things can happen to you on the sea, certainly in the sea. It's a place of great fear. The sea was a place where you would likely die. And so what does Jonah do once he's in the belly of the great fish? What's he do? He prays. Jonah hits bottom physically. He hits bottom emotionally. He's certainly hitting bottom spiritually inside the fish. And what he does is pray. Take note of that. Don't miss that. That is significant. He says, you hurled me into the deep. Well, that's interesting. Jonah says that God hurled him into the deep. It was actually the sailors. But Jonah sees all of his circumstances leading up to this moment as God's activity. In it. And here I was running from you, God, and where did I end up? In the deep. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight. And yet I will look again to your holy temple. That's a glimmer of repentance going on in Jonah's heart right there. You've done justly, God. You've hurled me into the seas and your waves are breaking over me. And yet I will look again toward your holy temple for you are just and you are right. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. All of that means I'm dead. I'm going to die. This is it for me. What a strange story. And now we find him praying from inside the belly of a great fish. Jonah had gone a long time, I presume, without honestly praying to God. Uh, He had gotten uh, this word to go to Nineveh and he goes down to Joppa. He doesn't pray about going down to Joppa. He just goes down to Joppa, so it seems. He gets on a ship to Tarshish. He doesn't pray about getting on a ship going to Tarshish. Uh, He's not talking to God at all, certainly not honestly, until he ends up in the depths of the sea, in the belly of a great fish. Why do you think Jonah prayed in the belly of a great fish? Well, he had nothing better to do. I mean, think about it. He wasn't just there for an hour or two or three or five. He was there for three days. Imagine yourself somewhere where you can't get reception on your phone for three days. What are you going to do? He prays. I'll tell you a kind of a humbling thing. At least it kind of humbles me when I think about it. Do you know why in our world we so often have a hard time praying? Well, first, there's got to be a hundred answers, if not a thousand answers to that question, right? But here's one that's kind of a universal answer. I think it's because we have so many other things we can do. We have so many crutches that we rely upon to keep our minds spinning, to keep our hands active, right? We have so many screens that we can turn on, so many distractions that we could produce to even fill up any moment of silence or any moment of reflection that we might have. We can fill that in so we don't have to reflect. We don't have to think. We don't have to contend with the reality of circumstances in our lives. So many distractions, things that allow us to avoid having to face what is really going on in our hearts and in our minds. We just have other things to do constantly. Distractions galore. Well, in this story, God brings Jonah down, 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 down to a place of desperation in a fish in the sea. And the honest truth is he turns to God for at least one uh, simple truth that he has nowhere else to turn. And I can't help but notice that the whole first chapter of the story of this book, the book of Jonah, is about human action. Jonah makes plans. Jonah has resources. Jonah is going places. And the whole first chapter is a disaster. And then the storm hits and Jonah's actions grind to a halt, except maybe he was trying to tread water or something for a while. And in the second chapter of this book, there's no action at all. It's just prayer. And then the good stuff starts to happen to Jonah and for Jonah. Jonah is as low as you can go 
Literally. And there he rediscovers his God. He meets his God again. Jonah comes to realize that what looks so bad, namely hitting the bottom, which started with the wind and then the storm and then getting thrown overboard and then getting swallowed by a great fish. All of that uh, was actually the best thing that ever happened to him because it brought him back to his senses. It was God getting his attention. It brought him back, so to speak, to his God. God was doing great things all around Jonah, even in Jonah, the runaway prophet. And by the way, just a a little time out here. I wonder, has anybody here ever been at the bottom? Been down, been in waters over your head? Well, I just state the obvious here. When you find yourself there, you might want to start praying. Uh, Is it your own fault that you're there like it was for Jonah? I would still recommend you pray. Do you have mixed motives like surely Jonah did? I would still suggest you pray. Do you really want your will to be done more than you want God's will to be done, kind of like Jonah? I would still encourage you to pray. Friends, one of the amazing things about our God is his graciousness. He is so gracious that even when Jonah, you or I come to him just because we hit bottom, just because we face something we can do nothing about, just because we come into a situation we can't fix, we don't understand that even when we come into those kinds of places, even when we hit bottom and have no place else to go, guess what? God will listen. And God is there. Jonah has run from God. Jonah has avoided God's clear commands to him. Jonah has pursued his own will instead of God's will. And yet, when Jonah finally has nowhere else to go, no one to turn to but God, he then begins to pray to God and even begins to acknowledge his own sin. Things start to change for Jonah. And what happens? Well, he gets delivered. He comes out of this mess that he's in. This is such an odd book. It really is. And yet, does it not resonate with some parts of your life? If not you, your spouse or your friends, right? Now, what happens next in this story is so goofy. It's almost slapstick. And I wouldn't mention it except that it's here in the Bible and in our story, so I have to. Uh, Jonah gets delivered on the third day. Now, the third day is a big day in many stories that we encounter in the Bible. It's very often a day of God's deliverance. Mind you, it was on the third day when Abraham was going along with his son Isaac and he had been told to go to a certain mountain where he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, guess what? It was on the third day that God provided a substitute for Isaac and that sacrifice. 
Uh, it was the third day when the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. God had told the Moses to have the Israelites prepare themselves for his coming on the mountain. And uh, they took three days to prepare themselves. And then God shows up. Uh, in Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, uh, he had contracted a disease. And, and God gave him three days to pray about and wait for deliverance from this disease. And then deliverance came. If you know anything about the story of Esther... Esther uh, appeared before the king, uh, her husband, to ask for deliverance of the Jews, but only did that after asking people to pray for her and with her for three days. In the Old Testament, often when there was a dramatic rescue on the part of God, it would come on the third day. And so a, a reader would expect in a story like this that Jonah is going to get some kind of dramatic rescue event. A visitation from an angel, maybe the voice of God is going to speak, a vision, a sign, a dream, I don't know, a teleportation, something. Something really miraculous. But as you know, that's not how it works, not in this story. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is a perfect children's story. Children love that word. They just do. If you wonder why English translators of the Bible do not choose a more dignified, churchier, more Presbyterian word than vomit, it's because in the original inspired text, the Hebrew word means vomit. The writer wants us to see that Jonah did not get dropped off by an angel. Jonah ends up on shore. Not a tragic figure covered with suffering, not a heroic figure covered in glory, but a ridiculous figure covered in vomit. And there's a reason why the writer says this. You see, the most basic way that you can divide up all stories that have ever been written, you can divide them up into one of two categories. Every story is either a tragedy where things like joy loses. Uh, things like, you know, life loses. Things like hope lose. Or you can divide stories up into the other category, a comedy. And that's where joy wins and life wins and hope wins. Well, let me tell you, Jonah is a comedy. Jonah, you see, just keeps going down, 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 down. But then these crazy, funny things keep happening. Jonah, who ought to be the hero of the story, uh, is told by God to go east. He goes west. And that is kind of strange. A prophet who you would think would know better thinks he can flee from God by sailing to Tarshish. And then on board the, the Tarshish ship, the Gentile captain, for crying out loud, is calling this man of God to come pray, to pray with the rest of them. And pagan sailors on that ship who, by the way, in the ancient world were not known for their piety, right? They get introduced to the God of Israel, to Yahweh. They become committed to the God of Israel, Yahweh. And Jonah thinks he is going down, down, down to the depths to die. But God sends a great fish. And in case anybody hasn't caught on yet, God throws in this regurgitation scene. And the point of all of this is that Jonah thought he was dead. And that's, that's as bad as it can get, right? Jonah thought he was dead. 
After all, he's here in the heart of the sea, running away from God, going down, down, down. And yet God is up to something great. That's the contrast. And it turns out that death and the grave and Sheol are not a problem for God. Human stiff-necked rebellion, human stubbornness, human sin, these things are not too big a problem for God to overcome. God laughs at all of this. God laughs at death. God laughs at the grave. In this comedy, Jonah ends up getting vomited onto shore. Friends, in this story, this vomit is good news. That our God is not ever faced with a problem that he can't fix. Even sin. Even death. And one day we will understand completely, completely, that joy wins. That's the gospel message. You see, Jonah is a joy book. Not Jonah himself. Jonah's a mess. He's a mess, a lot like you are, a lot like I am. But the book here, the book of Jonah is a comic book of joy. That's what it is. Because in the most sublime, transcendent, and wonderful sense, there is another character between every line in this book, in the book of Jonah. And that's why over and over and over in the pages of this book, uh, people have noted how it points to another character in the Bible, a very important character. Uh, we're told that Jonah is from a town called Gath Hefer, uh, which, uh, as it turns out, is in exactly the same region where another very important prophet of Israel comes from. There was a town there just, just a mile or so away from Gath Hefer, and that town was called Nazareth. Uh, Jonah was asleep on a boat in a storm when everybody else was panicking, right? And they came and they woke him up. And by his actions or instructions, the storm is suddenly silenced and stilled. Does that remind you of anybody else you know of? Last week, we looked at this. Jesus said toward the end of his ministry, he had one sign to give this sorry, tragic world. He called it the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, it says, Jesus is speaking. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. You know, in other words, Jonah's hit bottom here completely. He's, Jesus says, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah. And then comes the third day, right? And the point is, the message of Jonah is a, just a little foretaste of the victory of Jesus who comes to meet us at our lowest place, takes our sins upon himself and descends to the lowest place. And when he's there, when he's in hell, he says, ha, 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 death loses. Sin loses. Sorrow loses. Sadness loses. And joy wins. That's the gospel. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh grave, is your sting? You see, God gets the last laugh. This is the story of Jonah. Now, it's kind of interesting, too, uh, because of persecution for many of the early followers, especially uh, in the early second century, uh, many of the followers of Jesus, uh, those in Rome, uh, we know met in a, in a place uh, in order to hide and worship and study. Uh, and that place was called the catacombs. 
this underground place. It was a burial chamber and, and tombs and so. And the early church used to meet there to worship in secret. And some of the first art inspired by Jesus was not art that appeared in great cathedrals or in frescoes or mosaics or things of that nature. It was art that was drawn or etched or, or carved in the walls of tombs hidden in those catacombs. And the Old Testament figure that is depicted in the catacombs more than anybody else in the Old Testament, more than Moses, the lawgiver, more than David, the great king, more than Abraham, the father of God's people, the Old Testament figure that is depicted most often in the catacombs is Jonah. Why? Well, we don't know for sure, of course, but I suspect it was because they got the joke. They understood the book. The message is deliverance is coming. Resurrection is coming. The third day is coming. The message is Jesus didn't stay dead. In fact, Jesus is coming yet again. And surprise, just like before, you see Jesus is all over the pages of this little book where his name is never mentioned, the book of Jonah. It's a great high holy book of comedy where through a runaway prophet in a runaway storm, Tarshish sailors and Ninevite citizens come to faith in Jehovah God. Nobody saw that coming. Sin is overcome. Death is mocked. God wins. And I was thinking about this. What if, What if when we die, because, oh yeah, by the way, we're all going to, unless Jesus comes back. What if when we die, what what if when disease of all kinds, what if when aging or cancer or heart disease or COVID or dementia or mental illness or all the rest, what if after they've all done their worst, in other words, after we've died, what if then a day of resurrection comes? You know, that's what the Apostle Paul says. He said, it's going to happen. He said this when writing to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for the Lord, for Jesus himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And on that day, on that day, what if life is so Good. What if our healing and our redemption are so thoroughly complete? What if our new bodies are so wonderful, not like this body? What if, what if the community of the saints is so rich, so much richer than what we experience? What if our fellowship with God is so incredibly sweet that we look at each other and we say, what were we ever afraid of? What were we ever so reluctant? Why were we ever so reluctant to trust God? Why were we ever so reluctant to obey him or to love him or to serve him with all our heart and all our soul and all our might? Why did we think death or anything else for that matter could be awful as long as God is with us? Death is a joke, friends, to God. He will overcome it. It has no power before him. It's just the door to fuller, better, bolder life with God. 
Friends, that's the book of Jonah. Jonah hits bottom and there, right there at the very bottom, God is greater than ever before, ever, ever he imagined. He's more powerful and more loving and more gracious and more giving than Jonah ever imagined. You see, Jonah only wanted the, God, the love of God to be focused on the people of Israel. But God's love is bigger than that. Bigger than, jo than Jonah ever, ever imagined. And friends, this is really the pattern too uh, that we see most often uh, in how people come to understand who God is and how people come to faith in Jesus. It's very, very, very often through difficulty, through the process of going down. We go down, down, down. Our relationships break. Life beats us up. Finances fail us. Addictions control us. Children disappoint us. Careers go south. Our health falls apart. In other words, we come to the end of ourselves and it's exactly there where we do have, that we find that we have no ability whatsoever to make sense of it all, let alone fix any of it. And when we find ourselves there going down, 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 some, when they get to the bottom, discover that it's actually the greatest thing that has ever happened to them because there, in the belly of a fish, so to speak, we meet God. And we discover that all along, God has been doing something, something great. Doing things we, we didn't see, we, we didn't understand, we couldn't fathom at the time, but it was all for the important purpose of wooing us, drawing us into deeper places of trust and faith. I mean, we see this pattern so many times in Scripture. It was a bad day for this guy. He was hanging on a cross. He was a thief. In fact, he happened to be hanging right next to Jesus. Somebody I'm sure he had heard about. Probably knew a fair amount about him secondhand. From all the, all the talk about this prophet, this rabbi. Now, this guy had lived a very rough life, very rough life. He, he made his living by stealing and taking things from others. And then one day he gets caught along with a friend and they're condemned to death. And he finds himself hanging on a cross next to a Jewish rabbi, this Jewish rabbi he's heard about. And his life is about to end. He has sunk about as low as you can go. And it's interesting. He doesn't get delivered off the cross. In fact, as you know, he dies. But before he dies, he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a desperate request. It's a statement of desperate faith. And Jesus says to this thief who's done nothing to earn it, has no means whatsoever to merit the grace, the gift that Jesus is about to give him. Jesus says to this thief, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. And he is delivered. Just on the other side of death. And here's the thing, friends. You, we are all in over our heads. Anybody want to say amen to that? Let's just be honest. 
A great deal of the time, we don't understand what God is doing or how he's at work in the details of our lives. It's a puzzle. It befuddles us. Sometimes it makes us angry. We wonder if he's even there, but he's there. And he is working. And sometimes what we need to do is just pray. When we're in the belly of a great fish, just pray. Why? Well, because you have nothing better to do. And because you have nowhere else to turn. And because God will listen. And because he is always up to something greater than, better than we might imagine. Jonah says uh, to God, you hurled me into the deep. Well, why did God hurl him into the deep? You know, I appreciate the words of the Apostle Paul because Paul understood this whole dynamic that we're talking about this morning. He writes again to the church at Corinth and he says, he says this, he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. You ever been there? So that we despaired even of life. Have you ever been there? Paul says, indeed, our heart in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Oh, we can pray for each other. And then Paul says, many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's the story of Jonah, friends, right there. It's the story of Jonah. This has happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. This is what God is always up to in the lives of his people. What looks like tragedy ends up a comedy. Isn't it good to know that your life is a comedy? That's good. And that's your life, that's my life. As we walk with him, as we trust in him, as we continue to hold on and put our faith in him, that is the sign of Jonah. Jesus says, come, follow me. And when you go down, 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 even of your own making or someone else's uh, impact on your life when you go down when you endure a cross when you are in a tomb I will meet you there and on the third day I will give you life amen well more to come in this little book that keeps pointing us to Jesus but would you bow your heads and just pray with me our heavenly father We come to you very often from the lowest places. Uh, We come to you now to remember the cross where humanity could not get any darker or any lower. 
And yet in that very place, in the place of execution, in the place of death, you are up to something truly wonderful, something great. God, we are people we admit in over our heads. And we are people, many of us, who are carrying around crushing worries about our lives or our relationships, our losses, our sons, our daughters who are in trouble or who are in pain, our futures, our regrets, our sins, our fear, our guilt. Thank you. Thank you for sending us a Savior who sacrificed himself for our forgiveness, who can give us hope, who is our deliverer through it all. Thank you. Thank you that our tragedies will, in fact, become comedies, joyous comedies, because of you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.